The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the latest episode of Star Trek Prodigy called Preludes. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Cory Stika. Hey, Father Cory. How's it going? And Jimmy again. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Star Trek on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media. Retweet us on Twitter, where you'll find us at SQPN. You'll find us on Instagram at at StarQuest Network. And leave us comments wherever you find us. We'd love to hear from you. I want to tell you about another show on the network you're sure to enjoy called The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. You'll find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash secrets. All right, so we're talking about this episode of Prodigy called Preludes. And so, Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens? Last time, the kids were stuck with the protostar on a station in the neutral zone, and Ensign Asensia revealed herself to the Diviner as a member of his own species. This time, we learn people's backstories. Uh, as the kids repair the protostar, they discuss how they got to Tars Lomora. Rock was a professional space wrestler who was paid to be a heel, but she got tired of losing fights to the face that she was pitted against and decided to beat him. Afterward, she was sold into slavery on Tars Lomora. Zero was a member of a Medusan colony on a barren world before he was captured by the Kazon. Jankum Pog was from a pre-Federation pre-warp teller. As an orphan, he was put in cryosleep uh, on board a deep space mission, but he awoke early when the ship began encountering a series of minor malfunctions. After he repaired them all, he'd used so much oxygen that to save the other sleeping tellerites on board, he had to jettison himself, at which point he was captured by the Kazon. And on Biological Janeway's ship, Ensign Asensia reveals the backstory of the whole series. After the Federation made first contact with her homeworld of Solemn in the future, it caused a civil war and the Federation refused to take sides. But the Protostar came through a temporal anomaly from the past, and the people of Solemn decided to booby-trap it and send it into the past to destroy the Federation and prevent first contact. But before they could do that, Captain Chakotay and the crew escaped and sent the ship back through the time anomaly without a crew. The Solemnites then created the Order, sending back 100 pilots with their own ships and Dreadnought robots to find the Protostar and ensure its mission would succeed. The Diviner was one of these, and Ensign Asensia, known as the Vindicator, was another. These revelations restore the Diviner's memories. Uh, the Diviner arrived 20 years earlier and defied the Order by having Gwyn as his progeny. The Vindicator arrived three years ago and infiltrated Biological Janeway's crew since she was also determined to find the Protostar. Meanwhile, Biological Janeway examines the subspace equivalent of a wanted poster for the unwanted children, and she learns about their prior enslavement on Tars Lamora. 
Anne decides that she really needs to seek out the one who put the bounty on the kids, someone called the Diviner. But when she goes to check on the Diviner, not knowing who he is, she walks in on the Vindicator in her true form, and the Diviner knocks out biological Janeway to protect the mission. The end. So one of the interesting things about this episode, it was written by the entire Star Trek Prodigy mm-hmm. writer's room. That was, it's unique mm-hmm. for that. Uh, probably because we're getting so much backstory, you know, the so much Mm of who these characters were before the first episode. So I'm personally, I'm, I'm kind of glad they did this because it fills in a lot of gaps and it makes Mm -hmm. it feel like, okay, now we're getting something substantial from this, uh, this story because so much of it so far has, there's been, you know, substantial parts, but there's been, you know, aimed at kids, yeah. slapsticky stuff. So now we're kind of getting a substantial part of the story, I think. And I'm glad they had the whole crew, writing crew, write this episode because it did feel like each little backstory was writ- written just a little bit differently. There's a little bit different, at least to me, it felt like there's a little different, you know, writing language, if you will, for each uh, backstory. So you could tell that it was, you know, one or two of the writers took, you know, each one. Mm-hmm. And we're able to do it. And then whoever, you know, the Hegemans or whoever uh, did the glue that kind of the whole story that fit together. Uh, so I, I think that was a it was a good way to do it. Um, and they're very interesting little backstories. I, I thought they did a very good job on them and kind of getting to know who these characters were and how they ended up where they were. Yeah. It was nice to get uh, backstories on everybody. And the they did some things that were a little bit subtle that they didn't really point out, but like when Jankum Pog is awoken from cryosleep on the Tellarite spaceship, he's being escorted around to fix these emergencies by a drone. Mm -hmm. And the drone is kind of low wattage in the brain power department. (laughs) And the drone, in order to respond to him, he has to state his name before whatever he wants to say, or the drone will just Mm -hmm. tell him, state your name and your request. And mm-hmm. and and otherwise, so he has to, he has to constantly say his his name to right. the drone, and that without telling us directly, we see him doing this, and that's the backstory to why Jankum Pog always refers to himself in the third person. Yep, it's because he had this traumatic <laughs> experience with the drone where he had to say his name repeatedly in order to get it to work with him. Could you imagine if you had to do that with the Echo? Dominic Bandelli <laughs> needs you to turn on the lights. Yeah. <laughs> be obnoxious. Very uh, I was going to say that was Siri misbehaving itself. <laughs> and Alexa is obnoxious enough to begin with. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. And I, I like that. We also see the subtle subtlety of Jankum Pog starts off admitting I'm a trainee. I don't know how to do any of this stuff. And, you know, we have this montage of him having to fix things. And eventually, you know, he's now the, this talented engineer we we see on the protostar, mostly talented. I mean, he does end up fixing most things. Uh, well, so, and I, I love his first fix is percussive maintenance, which anybody who's done IT work knows <laughs> that trick well is making something work by whacking it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, uh, yes. One of the things interesting too is, is they start with Janeway, Bio Janeway, in her ready room. 
listening to Chopin's Prelude Number Four, which is where we get the title of the episode. So that's that was kind of nice. And yeah, she has names for the faces that she's encountered. They're called the Unwanted, and which is a callback to like the very first few episodes yep, where right. the sl- the slaves on Tars Lamora were called the Unwanted. Um, but she now knows all of their names and 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 can identify them by species except for Dal and Gwen. Right. Um, and she's she now understands that they're just victimized kids and they're not the real enemies. Yes, which is a, a nice advancement of the story. So we can get finally get beyond them running away and being thought of as, you know, the people who mm-hmm. stole the, the ship. We also, in this opening sequence, have a dilemma that we, the viewer, know the answer to and that the kids know the answer to, but that Janeway does not because they're repeatedly hailing. They're they're on the other side of the neutral zone from the station where the kids are at, and they're repeatedly hailing them and not getting any replies. And mm-hmm. we know that that's because the kids can't reply without infecting biological Janeway ship. So they're staying radio silent. Yeah. And they're in the meantime, they're fixing the ship because remember the Janeway's mm-hmm. ship just damaged. She the, shot uh, it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so they're trying to fix the, the proto warp drive so that they can escape when they, when they need to go. And in the midst of all this, Dal is still fuming over this idea that he's a failed genetic experiment from the last episode. And this is what, is the this the seed of the the premise mm-hmm. of this story, which is everyone gets to tell their background story. Like Dal, you're not unique. We all have bad stories. This is how we end up as the unwanted. Which is, if you think about it, the unwanted, is such a gaslighting name because this mm-hmm. is you know the diviner telling them all the time that these slaves that had been in, you know captured. Well, you're here because no one wanted you. I mean, it, it reminds me of some of these. Um, uh, old stories like uh, Oliver Twist sort of things. It's like it's an Oliver mm-hmm. Twist story where you know the the adult has enslaved these children and tells them, that, "Well, you're you're here because it's your fault because no one wanted you." Um, and it's and of course, what we see in the stories that's not the case. Yeah, you know, at least for for Zero wasn't unwanted. He was captured. Yeah, uh, Rock in a way wasn't was was unwanted only because she stopped playing her part. Right. Yeah. Her story, by the way, really was one that I enjoyed. Um, mm-hmm. it, it fits her and it explains her personality about how she doesn't like being treated as this. Oh, you're the big physical one. So you get to do the big physical things, mm-hmm. you know, because that's what she was required to do when she was a professional space wrestler. And um, that was her selling point was mm-hmm. I mean, they called her the monster. Uh, and she had this regular baby face that she would lose to who we never get a name for him. He's, um, he's just called the hero and Mm -hmm. he's got a lightsaber that doesn't look like a lightsaber. Yeah. Um, you know, it's because it's got like more width to the sword than a lightsaber does typically. Um, Mm -hmm. but she, and, and, and as in the wrestling industry, the heels and the faces are all buddies behind the scenes. Right. They only mm-hmm. they only pretend to be antagonists. And so so she gets along with him great, even though they don't share a language. And so um, 
So it's it's nice seeing her relating to the hero, and I suspect we'll see the hero in the future. He's mm-hmm. worth bringing. He's worth bringing back. That's mm-hmm. an interesting idea. Actually, what I talked about lightsaber, I thought it looked like the uh, dark saber from uh, Mandalore. <laughs> yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. And we one thing we don't know is how she ended up in gladiatorial combat. Like right. she's a child, you still, mm-hmm. even though she's a you know she's a, a brickar who you know they're naturally very large. But she's still a child. And how did she end up there? That's still something unknown. We know how Zero ended up on the sleeper ship. And we know how, I'm sorry, Zero ended up on that po- uh, planet. Yeah. And, yep. and Jankum ended up on the sleeper ship. But we don't know ultimately her origin. And you notice the one story we don't have. And we know how Gwyn got where mm-hmm. she is. But the one story we never get still is Dal. We still don't know. I mean, and I, mm-hmm. I feel like that's going to be the big mystery. Mm-hmm. At least for this season, maybe beyond, it would be interesting to see if they try to yeah. take that further into a, another season. Well, and clearly, Dal doesn't know his his background. He doesn't know where he came from. He doesn't know because um, he was again, he was surprised that he wasn't, you know, part of a race, but he was actually kind of a mix of different DNA. Right. Yeah. He may. I, I, Dal may know part of how he got. To, he may know Im- what happened immediately before he got to Tars Lamora. Mm-hmm. But he obviously doesn't know his full backstory or he would have known about the genetic experiment. But I agree. I think Dal's origin is going to be a recurring mystery and it's mm-hmm. going to turn out he's got parents. Right. Uh, oh, yeah. We do know that he was with the Ferengi for a little bit. Remember that Ferengi? Yes. That we saw. Yeah, well, that's right. Um, and you mentioned, uh, Jimmy, uh, at the beginning there, about Murph. We don't we still don't know about Murph. And I have a feeling that Murph's origin is going to be surprising. It's going to be mm-hmm. a big deal. So uh, as he goes to continue to go through whatever metamorphosis he's undergoing. Well, and, and on the uh, on the the, the uh, comms outpost. Yes. They did mention that um, that he knew what type of worm, you know, glow, you know, rainbow yeah. worm or whatever he was called. Yeah. He did mention that. Um, and I had forgotten about Dal and the, the, the Ferengi. So we, we know that how he got to Tars Melora is because the Ferengi sold him out. But we don't know beyond that. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And the Frankie that. is also the one who sold him out to Diviner with, you know, the unwanted bounties. Tars Lamora must not be very far into the Delta Quadrant. Right, because there's so many Alpha Quadrant species that ended, ended up mm-hmm. there. Um, so, yeah, yeah it, I mean, they, the Quadrants touch, right? They have to. So that's the nature of them. So, the, yeah, it's got to be on the near side. Although the Kazon were there. And that's, yeah, when they were on the far side of the Delta Quadrant. I, I have a, I, I feel like they're kind of papering over this whole idea of mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. how far the Kazon because the Kazon were also pretty primitive in their technology you know they they mm-hmm, had yeah. not been able to travel far so and if we're looking at you know at one you know they went from the delta quadrant to the neutral zone i haven't looked at the map of how that would work where that would connect in the the delta quadrant because um yeah because they've got the quantum slip stream slip stream drive in the dauntless we know that yeah and of course you got the protostar drive which can go even faster but right yeah yeah that that comm station was on the edge of the delta quadrant so yeah it, it star trek has never been really great about being consistent with uh, distances of things how far things are apart and where they're located 
You mean warp being the speed of plot? <laughs> yes. J.J. Abrams was the worst at it with his movies. Oh, uh, yeah. I just drove me crazy. <laughs> you know, it's 15 minutes between Earth and Vulcan. I mean, whatever. It just, just well, kind of drove me a little nuts. Babylon 5 dealt with that problem by having all faster than light travel occur by taking a shortcut through another universe. And mm-hmm. if you're taking a shortcut through another universe, its space doesn't have to correspond to space here. So, nope. Yeah, Centauri Prime is five days from Earth, but if you go this other way, you can get there in one day. <laughs> right, yep. right. It's like uh, Stargates. You know, the, the game yeah. travel is always more convenient. And then we have like Zero's story where there wasn't a lot to that story. I mean, she was no. she was with her family. She was traveling with them. Um, um, Zero's an it, but I think of Zero as a male. I know, I, I know. I I some for some reason the very beginning of the series I got yeah. in my head that Zero was a she. Don't know why, and then I've I I, I keep trying to uh, fix it in my mm-hmm. head to be it. But <laughs> yes, yeah, so Zero has a had a family or community, however that works that that it was traveling with, and the uh, was lured away by Kazon. So they specifically targeted Zero for mm-hmm. for. Capture and they were and they were wearing visors as they would have right. to, so they knew about medusans and how to protect themselves from right. medusans in the process of capturing one. Mm. And we we know that the diviner wanted um, a medusan, yes, and was testing on it. So that's how zero zero ended up being the unlucky one, basically. Right. Yeah, and delivered to Gwyn. You know, and, and that's really kind of awkward, isn't it? You know how yeah, you know, Gwyn and Zero are friends now. But their relationship began with Gwyn enslaving Zero. And it's, so that's a it's an interesting subtlety to have in a show that is aimed at kids. And I'm glad for it. I'm glad that they have these mm-hmm. subtleties because to explore this, to ex- uh, have kids exposed to this sort of subtle, complex relationship sort of thing. Um, it's, it's unexpected. Another kind of thing that is, I thought they did nicely in terms of sort of unexpected things is um, I, I don't know what to call her now, Ascensia or the Vindicator. I find this whole let's give ourselves action names a little mm. pretentious. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, Ascensia in recording, in recalling the Civil War notes that the Federation refused to take sides in it. And from their perspective, you know, that would be a bad thing because that means the Civil War is just going to continue and both sides are going to beat each other up and it's going to be even worse. But knowing the Federation, yes, that's exactly what they would do. Mm-hmm. They, they would they would refuse to take sides. You guys got right. yourselves into a Civil War. Sorry, Prime Directive. Work it out <laughs> yeah. yourself. Right, right. By the way, I'm going to assign myself a new name. I am the Dominator. So you can just. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> not, pre- yeah. not pretentious at all. Not pretentious at all. I, I just figured that's a part of their culture. You know, that's how yeah. they, they rank their warriors, you know, their their generals is by a title. I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing they did, you know, the, the uh, diviner did say is that the Federation was backwards technologically compared to their race. So I don't know. I, I don't know. Did they ever really say that the uh, Valnikot were not warp capable when the Federation found them or? No, I mean, they they did have first contact and did engage with them. Right. But this, but like the prime directive is, I think, has two levels. There's the if they're not warp capable, we don't contact and we don't interfere. Right. But then there's also a we also just don't interfere in the internal workings of of 
peoples outside the Federation, except when right. it's convenient to our plot and yeah, well, exactly. Uh, and like, I like think cutting that's, off a, a drug from a planet yeah. from another planet that we saw <laughs> on Lower Decks. <laughs> right, right. So I think that's the level we're working at. Is, is you know you have your you know, you're not part of the Federation yet, and you have your internal disputes. So we're not interfering. Um, of course, like I said, the the Federation often interfered in the Klingons and in the Cardassians and the Romulans. Yeah, you know when they were doing bad things. They were well, they were they were threats as opposed to if there's a Klingon civil war, the Federation's in, instinct is going to be to stay out of that. Yeah. Yep. That's true. And in fact, there were times when they did, uh, you know, in DS9 and TNG, there were you know, internal Klingon conflicts that they were supposed to stay out of and then didn't. Uh, but, that, mm. but that's that was more a violation of the of the regulation. Um but I am glad we got this more backstory on the, the Valnacot that we got some a little bit mm-hmm. at the first season break. And now we get more. And that's good because I, I just I felt like something was missing for making me care about what's going on. And I need to understand mm-hmm. who the diviner is and what he's about for me to really, really care about this story. Mm-hmm. I didn't have that experience, but I'm glad we have the backstory now. We also yeah. now know where Chakotay is. He and his yes. crew are stranded in the future. Right, right. Yep. So predictions, do you think, I mean, is that they... I predict we'll find Chakotay in the future. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So they will So they will travel to the future, I would guess. So, and my guess is the Protostar will be the, the ship that can, the only ship that can do it. They go and come back uh, is the, the right. idea. Uh, so we have this the order that we t- they talk about you know after the the divinest people have destroyed themselves in the civil war they're mostly uh, you know they don't have much left but they form this order uh, I don't think it's a religious order but more like a order we would maybe think of it more it's of like an order military. of knights yeah an order it's, of knights yeah, yeah. and uh, and they're going to organize to stop what the federation what they say the federation did to them and. Like you said, send the protostar back. Now, was the, was the they had already armed the construct on mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. on the protostar, and that's when yes. Chakotay and his uh, bird like first, first officer um, is. I wonder if it's from the same people from that episode in Lower Decks or a different uh, yeah. bird like race. But in any case, uh, they sent it. They sent it back, and you know, sacrificing mm-hmm. their own opportunity to go home, which is interesting. Um, yep. So. Uh, but the Janeway hologram on board never knew, which I thought was interesting. She didn't, she has that gap in her knowledge. Um, do you think Chakotay erased that? I I would assume it would have been the Solonites, but it was part Uh, of the, you don't want the onboard hologram knowing the plan. Right. If you're, if you're planning on, on using the ship to cause havoc. Oh, right, okay. and that that would make sense because remember they they had to. She didn't even remember the ship being taken over by the uh, dreadnoks. Yes, that's true, and and it's interesting. The time travel was not the slingshot one that we see a lot of time. It's a wormhole time travel, which mm-hmm. is uh, I don't know temporal if anomaly. The, yeah, the classic Star Trek phrase temporal anom- anomaly, and. So the oh, just use the Doctor Who phrase. It's a time storm. <laughs> there you <Yeah>. go. <laughs> and then, um, so the 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 um, Volnikot they come up with the plan to send a hundred ships, each with one person. So they only have a hundred ships and a hundred dreadnoughts left, apparently. And 
they weren't able to pinpoint where exactly when the ship to, they what they said like a one percent chance. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I guess they're sending a hundred ships to one hundred possible times to cover their bases. Yeah, and that's not really how statistics works, but okay. Yeah, yeah I, I I kind of figured that they didn't exactly say that. I mean, because they almost implied that they were all going to the same time too. Um, mm-hmm. But that as they were going through this, um, and, and also apparently a lot of the hundred are dead because as mm-hmm. they were coming back through the wormhole through time, it was collapsing, and a lot of them yep. apparently died in that process. Maybe it was a one percent chance that one of them would get through, so you sent a hundred to maybe have yeah. that one go through, and maybe that's what it was. Yeah, I, I, I think they were supposed to go to the same time as where the protostar did yeah and but the chance of where did the protostar go once it left the temporal anomaly it was the the, the you know the right what they were why they sent so many to spread out and then of course when it started collapsing they got knocked some got destroyed most got destroyed two of them made it through but they made it through at different times mm. i i wonder though uh this is a convenient future plot device where you know we we have Valnakot showing up randomly over the course of the series mm-hmm. to be bad guys throughout that that could be interesting at least maybe one other at least um but uh so the diviner show you know got there 20 years ago in the past of the present yep. moment of the series uh Asensia got thrown back to only three years prior and the diviner must have been injured because it that's why he's in that suit right to sustain mm-hmm. his life and but also got a sense of this is taking so long. I need to have someone to carry on once I'm gone. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so he had Gwen, which apparently means they reproduce asexually. Right. Either that or they or they store the gametes in, of the opposite sex in their bodies for a long time. Right. I, I figured it was more of a create the progeny than it was mm. reproduce a, a progeny. A cloning mm. type procedure. Cloning type process. Yeah. yeah. And and which is apparently forbidden, like having these children was maybe I mean, do you think that's like a, a Val Nakat thing or an order thing? I mean, like maybe that the order. I got it. It was forbids. an order thing. I got yeah, it that yeah. it was an yeah. order thing. Yeah. Like you have to be dedicated entirely like, so like a celibacy. You have to dedicate your entire mm-hmm. existence to the cause. Like uh, being a Knight Templar. Right. Yeah. yeah. They were celibates, too. Well, I, I think the idea, too, was not to leave any trace in the past. You know, right. you know, the idea is they finish their mission and then I would assume commit ritual suicide or something like that. And yeah, or go back to the future or something. Or go back but, to the, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or do, do whatever it takes to stay out of the timeline. Um, mm-hmm. It is interesting to the, the Jankum Pog story that he originates pre-Federation, which is why he keeps you know, harping mm-hmm. on this idea that he's Federation royalty, which was kind yeah. of funny. Um, <laughs> But, you know, this well, like, yeah, we, we found out he found out very early on that, oh, yeah, the Tellarites were one of the four original founders. Oh, we're royalty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, and so they he's we learned before that he's a runt. He's a, you know, a runt of the litter in the Tellarite race. And that's in that sense, uh, which uh, Janeway, uh, hollow Janeway, by the way, points out that runts are often valued that her own uh, dog from the Star Trek Voyager uh, what was the name of the? I forget the name of the dog, but that she she says Molly. Uh, Molly that's right, was the run to the litter, which is a was something we were we learned actually in Voyager itself. 
In, yeah, uh, that's that's what you tell Runtz. <laughs> <laughs> Runtz are the best. Wait a minute. My mom always said I was the best. Never mind. So, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, that the, the, the Tellarites used orphans to send them on deep space cryostasis missions, which that sounds kind of awful, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Also, it's, it, I was pleased that how nicely that dovetailed with, um, with Jankum, you know, having this, oh, I'm royalty thing, because that was a genuine discovery to him when mm. when he learned what species he was back on the communication station. Mm. And 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 he learned that the Tellarites were one of the original founders. And and so he, that was new to him. So it makes sense that he's pre, he's from a time before that. Mm-hmm. And that also deepens his character. It's like, oh, this guy is this is their Kanunian thing. I mean, he's been around for ages in cryosleep, mm-hmm. um, which makes Jankum a more interesting character. Um, but notice also if he's an orphan, that explains part of the royalty fantasy he's engaging mm-hmm. in because because now I don't know that orphans in real life do this, but at least in literature, orphans right. would like frequently turn out to be lost royalty and they'd have and orphans in literature would have in parodies of 19th century literature would have fantasies about being lost royalty. Right. 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 And, I like the fact that Jenkins turns out to be heroic. I mean, he he mm-hmm, sacrifices mm-hmm. his opportunity to stay with his people to be you know on this ship and throws himself out into the the deep dark of space alone in order to allow the people of the ship to make it to their destination. And you know, it, it, yep. it's it's a nice character moment for Jankum to not just be the usual you know comedy relief of the crew to, mm-hmm. to do something heroic. I like that. And of course, that's something they could play out later. They could have him remember where they were going, and then the crew goes and finds them. Yeah, yeah, they could. That would be an interesting another another story possibility. So at the end, they they fix the proto drive. They're ready to to take off, and uh, they don't yet, which is interesting. So we're presumably that's going to be in the next episode. But we then get this scene of Bio Janeway realizing the kids aren't criminals; that they're victims of the Diviner. And then going to confront the diviner and walking in on this awkward moment with a dreadnought yep. and a sensi in a true form and the diviner and getting knocked out. And I'm sitting there going, well, how are they going to explain this <laughs> when, you know, when Janeway comes to and they're trying to and the crew is looking for Admiral Janeway? Uh, I, that, that's I'm curious how this is going to get explained uh, and where we're going from here. So that should be interesting. So uh, any other thoughts on this episode, Father Corey? Nothing here. Jimmy? Nope. We've talked about the episode for longer than it was. <laughs> Which is a little unusual with the with the, the prodigy lately. Uh so but it I, I think it was a good episode at that that we, we really Agreed. advanced things here. So it wasn't just a, a throwaway. So that's good. All right. So we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Michael C, Warren C. Ricardo G, Mary B, and Charles W. Their generous tax-deductible donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Star Trek in all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. 
So we'd love to hear what you think of this episode of Star Trek Prodigy called Preludes. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek. Our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media. You can send an email to trek at sqpn.com or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash Discord. And you'll find this as a full video on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Media. We should also make sure to subscribe. We'll be back next time. We're going to be discussing the next episode of Prodigy called Ghost in the Machine. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, and live logs and proper. And Father Cory Stiga, thank you as well. Thank you, and Jacob Pog can finally relax. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest, and remember, Jacob Pog can fix it. Hi, everyone. This is Dom Bettinelli, CEO of StarQuest, with a special message as we approach the Christmas season. This past year, the StarQuest Network has continued to expand our mission of exploring the intersection of faith and pop culture through our many entertaining and informative programs. Now we need your generous financial support to reach new audiences with more of the life-changing and uplifting programming we've been creating for more than a decade. That's why it's very important that we hear from you this Advent and Christmas, the time when nonprofits receive most of their support for the year. If you are already a supporter of StarQuest, we thank you and ask you to prayerfully consider increasing your support at this time. If you're not yet a supporter, please become one now. Every gift counts. Could you give $15 or even just $10 per month? Whatever level of support you can offer, please show your support for SQPN this Christmas. And remember that your gifts may be tax deductible. Just go to sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give. May God bless you this Advent, and may you have a blessed Christmas season.